Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Carrying Through the Matrix on the 20th of January 2019. Last night, because of global warming, it hit when I left to go to bed, that is about 2 in the morning. It was about 24, minus 24 Fahrenheit, which is about minus 32 maybe on the centigrade scale. That's without a wind. And it's been like that for quite a few nights in a row, in fact. And it's been one of the coldest winters, really. You can take a record of it for yourself. Don't listen to the, the stats that are constantly churning out there. But keep your own records off them. It's quite amazing to see how cold and how long the winters are now compared to what they were not so long ago. And, and yet, as you're living through all this, you're told constantly, and it'll be come about February or March, they'll tell, they'll tell us it's a, it was the warmest winter probably on record. That's what they generally do. And I've given talks about this before. By keeping my own records and comparing them, what they predict is going to be for today or tomorrow or whatever, and what I notice is they never change their predictions. And if they, they claim there's going to be, be a few inches of snow, you'll find it might be a foot or a foot and a half, and things like that. But they don't, they don't readjust it in the records to say that that actually happened. They stick their old predictions. So predictions are more important than the consequent facts. Everything today is so incredibly politicized, isn't it? The average person doesn't know that. that that's the stunning part about it, really. But everything is so politicized. There's hardly anything you read or hear on electronic media of any kind that isn't incredibly politicized. And everything's out there with some agenda in view. Everything's agenda-driven today. And I've mentioned it before how we live in an age of personality cults. Folk don't even realize that even on your mainstream television, the main anchor people that, become, that are made to be popular like personalities, they're really a corporation. Everything's a, everybody's a corporation these days. Politicians hire the marketers to give them a personality image to project it to the public like in a fake a fake, I can have a fake image of how wonderful they are and etc. And it's all fiction. Everything's about appearance to the public. Perception management, they call it. And we are in an incredible time today when everything is like that. Everything. The stories they put out today are often put out by marketing companies. Using the, the, the memes of today and the themes of today and the politicized agendas of the day. But the main motive is really to get publicity. Everybody this week's been prattling on about the, the latest Gillette toxic ads or whatever. Men are, are toxic and masculinity is toxic and all that stuff. And it turns out the one who really put it forward is, is a person who's actually advertised on behalf of Gillette and, and, and advertising themselves. So when you think of the free publicity they've got with everybody prattling on about it for pro and con, etc. And again, it ties right in with Adam Curtis talked about with the whole, the media is meant to get you angry and emotionally upset. So you'll all, because the more upset you get, the, the more people will click away on the internet and their chat rooms and, and their Twitters and all the rest of it. But what a free publicity that is, isn't it? For a company. That probably would not, maybe I've not, never thought about Gillette before, for instance. 
Never mind ask the question, what, what, is, what on earth is Gillette doing? A big corporation that's out to make an incredible amount of money. What's it, what's it doing in that area in the first place? Well, it's a great free publicity thing. If the big agenda right now was a marriage, they'd be, they'd be battering about marriage. No, wow, marriage, marriage, pro or con. Again, it doesn't make any difference. As long as that was the theme of today and everybody gets upset about it. You see? And it's the same too with the personalities we're given as figureheads in, uh, in charge, apparently in charge of countries. I've gave up the articles before where politicians in the UK, and it's the same I'm sure in the US and Canada and elsewhere, actually have acting lessons given to them. They attend acting lessons on how to appear to the public and deportment, how to stand and posture for all their photo ops, etc. Because nothing in the system they're living in today, it's all visual, etc. It's not real anymore. Maybe it hasn't been real for an awful long time. You find, too, that a company like Gillette that's there for mass profit, right? With quite an amazing... I remember a long time ago many years ago, an article in a paper, I think you maybe read it on the British side, and it was a big award given to a man who'd taken over Gillette at that time, an ex-military fellow, as a CEO, or owner, I'm not quite sure which, but he turned it into the, the massive powerhouse it is today for profits. And it said in the newspaper that the, the, how they did it was to vastly cheapen the life of each blade so that people would buy more and at the same time market it in such a way that folk would think it was wonderful and, and, and buy more of them and, and lo and behold, it actually worked. That's what it said at the time in the newspapers. And I thought about it too because, you see, at one time people had open razors that would last their lifetime. You sharpened it on a strop and you'll see it in old movies and so on. And then came in the closed razor, safety razor as they called it. And you had one blade initially that... Again, would last quite some time. It's a bit thicker, but high carbon steel, and it would it would give you a lot of shaves. And then everybody caught on the act that would make make them thinner and and softer steel, so they wouldn't last as long. They'd be dull, and you'd buy more of them. But again, then you can make the people buy an actual actual blade holder. In fact, the rest of the whole thing more often too. That was part of the gimmick as well for a point. Uh, and then this is no, let's let's just make a fancy looking holder, and then give them a five blade pack, and make the price awfully expensive. And that's how they did it. The same techniques basically as light bulbs, and I've talked about that too because there's an awfully good documentary put out years ago on built-in and planned obsolescence, where the companies uh, used to make light bulbs. Made them last for many, many years. Each bulb was it would last forever, almost ever. And of course, if you're making a product and you've got a company to make them, you you would get to a stage you'd think where everybody got enough light bulbs, and unless you broke them by mistake, they would last forever. So you're out of business. So a company, the, the companies that they made these bulbs, met in, in Germany. They went from Britain and the US and everywhere else over to Germany for this big meeting. And the, the, all the makers of these light bulbs decided to sign an agreement, come to a, a, an agreement where they'd limit the life to a certain amount of time. And even then, it was much, much longer, much longer than the last today. And over the years, they would agree again to, to shorten them even more and more and more until, of course, towards the end, you, you find that you put the thing in, it lasts a few days sometimes, and this pops as soon as you switch on the light. 
and that's how you do it. Same with razor blades and everything else by different companies. They're all pretty well in the same con game. And then you have the double raise, you know, double blade razors and all the other gimmicks, etc. Whereas if you had a decent high carbon steel, thicker blade, it would last you an awful long time. And there you go. But everything today is profits driven, big, big profit. At one time, you used to have a lot of families, actually real families, who had the controlling interests in the shares of their companies. And therefore, the head, the, the people who became the CEOs were of the family lineage. And they used to have a kind of responsibility to the family name. And they knew their workers, too, a lot of their workers. And they looked after them, made sure they were, they were okay if they were sick and so on. And they made sure the pensions were okay and, and that kind of thing. That was awfully, awfully good for a long time. Uh, the, the way that, that it worked with a lot of companies, not them all, naturally. And then along came the corporate raiders, as they called it. And the corporate raiders found back doors into companies to buy up excess shares and then put the, get the controlling interests, kick out the family members off the board, if possible. And then they started selling off the assets. All the things that functioned to make the companies what they were were sold off and stripped and made, made lean, they said, so they can resell. The whole point was to resell them. And a lot of them just went under as soon as they stripped them of their assets. And so a pure, incredible, agreed type of personified, in fact, <laughs> agreed personified, really, system as they, as they ditched everybody and got rid of uh, older folk with the skills and training, etc., and sold off the assets until companies were folding all over the place eventually. But that was get-rich-quick. And since then, really, we've been in this this era of the me generation, as they call it, and winners and losers. Everyone's taught to be a winner. And as you lose old moralities that kept cultures intact, and we are, we're constantly losing the moralities of of the old systems. And, of course, the old system wasn't perfect either, by the way. There was a lot of horror involved in the old system, indeed. But what I'm saying is that there were values in amongst the people themselves that kept things just tolerable. And you brought in the human aspect of it, where you couldn't just boot people around for money's sake. Well, we've pretty well lost that today. Back in the 70s, I think it was, there was a book, maybe in the 70s or 80s, called The Corporate Man. And it was about the era where they started to really, really push the corporations as big, massive empires unto themselves. And you were part of a team, the teamwork, teamwork, teamwork. And, of course, the neurologists and scientists and psychologists were on board with all this stuff to make sure with all their different tests that if they brought someone on board, would, would they be the right person before they hired them? And they're pretty, pretty good at predicting who would go along with, with anything at all the company did, even all the things that perhaps they shouldn't go along with. And, and they would swear swear unyielding alliance to these companies, no matter what happens. And we never really got rid of that eventually. And now that whole, that whole uh, kind of culture is spread into all of society. Milton Friedman too came out with his, his oh, greed is good, greed is good, being taught through all uh, business colleges and universities. And such a, a, a culture, of course, is, as I say, is winners and losers. And with the internet, with the, the chat rooms and Facebook, and Twitter and all the rest of it, everybody's a, a narcissist out there. It's all about me, as they say. It's all about me. And again, Curtis mentioned that too on some of his documentaries, where all the information uh, has been gathered about you to reflect back to you, right, to advertise to you 
and suggest to you, it's all about you, 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 which boosts the whole idea that, that of narcissism. That, oh, I'm so important. Really? Really? But you've never seen such incredible arrogance on a personal level as we have today. We're losing our natural humaneness. And that's all through companies and corporations. I've even found out this last little while, there's no point in complaining to a corporation about anything, whereas a government agency or anything else. Actually, private ones are a bit better to deal with. They'll try and get things fixed. Whereas government agencies are like civil service bureaus where they can't really fire them. And if you complain about something, it doesn't matter what the problem is or who you happen to be. You're a figure, a number, a non-entity, and you're dealt with as such. It's a there, there, dear, dear, dear. Nothing's going to happen, really. Or if anything happens, it'll be the wrong thing. Or they haven't listened. It's like going to the doctors today. They don't want to know your family history. We are an idiocracy, honestly, where they look at pictures and the doctors look at pictures. And, and they'll even look on their... I had an experience where one of them showed me um, something on a smartphone. I don't even have a smartphone. I don't need to. And which is pointing out about the spine, which, is, as, which I, could, I could write a book on the spine. And I'm not kidding you. And I thought, why would you even point to this picture on a, on a cell phone? Just like idiocracy. When in my mind... I, I could I could just take from my mind and draw it for you, perfectly. But that's what everything is today. And if you try to mention any kind of family history, which has always and always and always been so important, uh, they don't listen to you. It doesn't matter. Everything today is flowcharts. And so if you go to, to a doctor or something with a problem, here's a problem, it goes to the next, then little arrow points, the next flowchart, the next flowchart, the next flowchart. But if you don't understand the family history side of things, which suggests that, that lineages, or you've got a DNA or a chromosomal problem, perhaps, in the family lineage, or something that you're all prone to, then they'll definitely misdiagnose you. That happens all the time today. Well, it's the same thing complaining, as I say, to different agencies, especially, especially with governmental agencies, where they tend to pad a hierarchy, constantly growing all the time, with people who work at the bottom, who work their way up, and come off the shop floor, you might say, to speak, that is, and put them upstairs, and uh, they, they get, you end up with too many of them. And no one, no one, no one is going to risk their neck by maybe getting involved in any complaint or problem or whatever. Their job simply is to pacify callers with a there, there attitude and try and alleviate something. And often the alleviation would be a lot worse than the initial problem. And I'm not kidding about that. So that's where we are today. Everybody is a personality. Everybody's got their allegiance to whatever they work at, especially when there's big money involved. And the average person doesn't make the kind of money that the agencies, for instance, that are related to government do make, naturally. Therefore, since the whole point in the winners and losers society is to get up amongst the winners, then once they get up there, as I say, they aren't really going to serve the public as such. They're not going to do it the same way. No way. And they don't want their names mentioned in case anything goes wrong and, and any particular thing and a complaint comes in about themselves, you see. That's, that's how, how scared everybody is of losing their status, which goes along with the level of their paycheck. But we're living in that age now, and it's not a matter of, of bemoaning it to an extent. It's a matter of factuality. We go through massive transformations of society down through time. 
And it doesn't mean that you're actually going into perhaps a better one, although the different sociologists and there's even anthropologists involved now too. They even work with the military all the time. To, when they're going to invade countries, they, they go in with the troops because they know the ways of the Achilles' heels of different cultures and how to infiltrate, destroy, and even threaten or torture them. This is the society we're in today, isn't it? Where it's all professionals, but the professionals are not there to really help you. They see you as numbers and figures and animals, actual animals to be manipulated. They do this and we do that and then they'll do this and they, them. That's, that's the public. And the biggest uh, and well, most well-paid psychologists and neuroscientists, etc., and behaviorists all work for big top agencies in marketing, which also are related to governments and work with governments when required for big, big, big money in order to prompt us and persuade us to go along certain paths. They also work and have done for a long time with teachers' associations for education. They create the toolkits and how to persuade the, the children collectively to come to the same conclusions as a teacher wants them to have on any particular topic and how to even annul any individual responses from any actual individual child. It's all pretty well perfected using peer pressure, even shunning techniques and things like that to make them conform. It's just astonishing. And that's through all of education today. And then the same techniques are now used on the public, overwhelmingly so. And what you're seeing, the politicization, as I say, of everything out there in order to control, to make you conform. It's nothing to do with idealism. Don't ever fall and say, well, they're really idealists, so there's an excuse. No, they're not. The ones at the very top of this, who design all of this, their ideals are not your ideals. They want you to all conform and be controlled. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. In a society that was free, you, you really would have individual opinions, individual everything out there, and, and people would not be at each other's throats because they were different than you. So when they're forcing you to go along with everything until, until you can't even have your own opinion, or you'll be punished sometimes in a, 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 a more shunning type of way, or else to the next step, which is coming, where they'll go for your, your income or your job and get you out of, the, out of work. That happens too, by the way, today. And all, all the way to, to violence. And then that will come. Because the system today, run by those at the very, very top, use all the unstable people below them to do the violent things to other people. Which also frightens those people who will not conform to, to the latest PC, whatever it happens to be. And that's where we are with all of this. I listened to a little clip by Christopher Hitchens' brother, Peter Hitchens, and he had done a talk show with someone from Australia. And he was talking about the past and how he's lambasted at times about his, his criticism today, Peter Hitchens, is that they're saying about him that he's, he's bewailing the loss of a, a past, but he's not. He's bewilling the, the, the loss of some of the values, individual values, that kept society going, even amongst the toughest times, where folk would try and help each other out. This basic decency values, which are vanishing. That's, that's really what he stood up for in the past, and why things are not necessarily on a great course for the future, never mind the present. But he did mention that he came out of university 
in his day. I think he went to Oxford. And he came out like many of his, his peer group at that time as Trotskyists, as Marxists, and revolutionaries. They were all getting trained in university. That's what universities... Never stopping to think, wait a minute here. This is the, this is the, the big Ivy League type of university, the real, the real granite stone building type things opposed to the red brick as they, they poo-pooed the working class type universities are getting built at that time, maybe in the 1940s or 50s. And why would your establishment have brought in revolutionary Marxists and communists into the country and given them teaching positions in the areas where those in the elite who rule Britain, Maggie Thatcher talked about it when she, she was giving big, big grants to the private, top private schools, the posh schools as they're called, and then universities. She says, because that's where her future, our future leaders come from. And they all meet each other there. And they'll all know each other as they grow up in politics and business and CEOs, you see. Why would the country be allowing that? To, not just allowing you, but encouraging it to happen. They're not dumb. There was never a country more spied upon ever and monitored than, than the UK. A country that ran an empire didn't just sit back and let things happen even though they were rapidly losing the empire with the massive debt they incurred by borrowing from the U.S. banks during World War I, which they could never pay off, and then World War II rolled along too. But they still had that same control system embedded in the universities, but they allowed all this to happen. So there's, there's Peter Hitchens and his brother, of course, that became a radical, far-left, pretty well communist, working for the nation. And... It wasn't until Peter Hitchens saw what was happening in the Soviet Union towards the end of it. He was there when it fell, or supposedly fell. It didn't fall, actually. It was just transformed. And for those who remember at the time, Gorbachev gave a speech, and I think Eric Margolis, if I remember, who was a, a good reporter, he, did, uh, he, he covered that speech and wrote it down and put newspapers. And, and Gorbachev uh, at that time said that you'll hear shortly that communism is dead. He's talking to, the, to the, 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 the nation, the Soviet nation. And he says, don't believe it. He says, we're simply transforming into next, the next um, branch, international. If you're wondering why the, the West, especially the U.S. perhaps, is financing and leading the charge for a form of socialism. But it's a corporate socialism with corporations at the top running the systems below. Very much, by the way, like, very much like, like China, isn't it? Because China knows they can give you everything you want in China. Everything you want. And, and Hitchens said the same thing. And they are, by goodness, you wouldn't believe what they can buy and what they can do in the cities in China, where the money is. And the prices are even facelifts and things like that. And, are so cheap. But, but, and the youngsters all going for plastic surgery, things like that. But what you cannot have is freedom of thought. You must conform with ideas and opinions according to the party norm. Well, it really isn't much different. If you, if you stop thinking in terms like communism, capitalism, and corporatism, and so on, it's all the same, folks. I've said before, you, you can have the same brass bands playing the same national tunes and marches as long as you want, but you, you've got to remember, you can change incrementally, quite a long distance, even face the other way in one generation quite easily, with, and done so slickly that folk don't even recognize it.
But when you see the same, same signs and symptoms of a system across the world, then you better believe it is the same system. We're still battling the same nonsense today of, oh, they're right-wing and they're left-wing and they're liberal and all that nonsense. It's the same agenda, just like Jefferson said. When you see the same agenda continuing between changes of the House, meaning parties of politics and government, that continue in the same agendas, then know you're under tyranny. The trick is to get, make it appear like they're different, but they're not different at all. The same agendas in the UK would have happened. Uh, actually, have happened. Look, look, Cameron, for instance, supposedly conservative. What a joke that was. He was more liberal than anybody. Tony Blair uh, was more conservative. He was warmongering uh, and the big corporate giveaways, the big cor- which, which rewarded him awfully well, by the way, for his wars. Don't you think? Have you seen lately all the houses and real estate he's collected throughout England? And abroad, probably too, a bit. But you don't get that with just being a little, a little prime minister, a, a public servant. Hmm. Yeah. And he was picked up by J.P. Morgan and elevated to the head of the group to do. I think they called it the quartet. They called them, I think, the quartet to do with uh, managing corporations across the Middle East. So, as I say. Nothing really is what it seems to be unless you want to look at it. Remember, most people, it's not their fault, haven't got a clue what's going on. They're too busy having fun. And if you interject and say, well, would you like to know why this is this way or whatever it happens to be? They'll call it, you're a, it's a downer. They don't want you to be reminded of, of, of these nasty, unpleasant things. Like debt, for instance. Don't talk about debt. Don't talk about, for instance, a Great Depression that happened before. For some reason, it could never happen now, they say. Because hmm. they can't tell you why it could never happen now. They really do think they're living in a kind of a, a type of free society. We're, we're special, invisible people above them are managing it all perfectly. On their behalf, like like like, like bureaus and bureaus and bureaus of of, of saviors, who who just live in, in little offices and 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 sky buildings or something, taking care of everything in their lives for them because they love them. That's as far as it goes. That's as far as it goes. It's astonishing, really, how little thought goes into asking questions. At least I find that. But I've always found out, I suppose. And I, I didn't analyze it even when I was young. I thought, well, the conditions in Britain were so bad for most of my life. They got a little bit better about the late 80s, I think, is that the governments allowed more money to be printed up and they allowed the credit cards to be thrown out across the board to everybody for the first time. At one time, you couldn't get those things unless you had collateral to back any kind of loan, including credit cards. And that's how they got a lot of the country through such incredibly hard times as the deindustrialization went on and on and on for years. Without telling the public even why. That there was, there was agreements they signed with the EU to completely deindustrialize the UK. Everything is secret, isn't it? We are dealing with agencies and government bureaus and so on. It's always secret. They can't tell you anything. And they won't tell you anything. But 
people are told they're there to represent them. For who? Who's representing you for what? They're there to represent you for what? So we, we, we go along with this game of pretense, and we have to participate in the pretense. And you're supposed to vote so that someone can rule you. And again, a marketing company will create the image of this person or this party you're going to vote for. And we've been doing that for long before I was born, that same nonsense. It's, it's really amazing to me that people just don't ask the right questions. How many folk do you know who've even asked why your countries are always at war somewhere across the planet? Why? And don't take the, the glib answer, oh, well, it's to, it's to stop some genocide over here or there or whatever. Really? Is that what it's... If we're just out there to do good for people and stop them killing each other? Is that what it's really about? You'll find our countries are behind most of the killing across the world and the plundering still today of the resources of different countries. Way more than any little petty tyrant is doing. The first thing you need for war, and that includes localized war, without even the term war being used, because we don't use that very often, is we're policing, we're policing actions. Just change the appearance of something, perception management again, to disarm your, your, your logical process of thinking. And you, you find, as I say, that, I mean, Tony Blair is a good example, well, only one of many. The Daily Mail had it years ago, years after that invasion of Iraq and elsewhere. Where, where Tony met with uh, the, the heads, the CEOs of big oil corporations, and the U.S. wants to, and they divvied up the oil fields across Iraq before they did the invasion. But what was the guff that they gave to the public for the necessity for invading Iraq? Well, suddenly Saddam Hussein, the guy who'd served the West all that time, was a bad man. Bad. He, was, he was the world's demon, for goodness sake. And that's how you do it. George Orwell's 1984. Who, who are we at war today with? Who's the enemy today? Is they change their gun sights all the time back and forth to, until you're lost. But behind it all is always profit for big corporations. Always. Always, always, always. The whole idea with Russia for years now is because there's a group in the Middle East involved with, with a group in the US and in Britain who want to have the rights of the oil fields all through the Middle East and into the east of Europe. And naturally, Russia is also, has, has, was also laying oil uh, pipelines across. In fact, they were feeding a lot of the, a lot of the gas to the Europe, of course. For their, and that, that all got cancelled, supposedly, because of the last fracas of, of propaganda. So it's all to do with uh, corporate warfare, really. That's what it's about. Nothing to do with ideology. Russia's got the same successful psychopaths as we do, running us, behind the scenes. Governments are almost there to rubber stamp things on behalf of the big corporations today. And the big corporations use every technique of control. Again, persuade the public. The first thing you must do for warfare is is basically get the public support on your side for anything you want to do. If you want to invade and steal whatever, don't say we're going to steal, we're going to help these folk over yonder. That's what you say. It's not difficult to do. And because you raise a public to be gullible 
believing that they've got an honest society, even though there's no signs of it. They keep telling you there is. And, and so why would, they, why would they lie to you? Decent folk would say, well, there must, be, there must be something to it, for goodness sake. And the fallout from it all achieves further goals. And that's what people don't realize, too. The mass migration, remember, into the whole of Europe was discussed before Tony Blair got the war going with Britain involved in Iraq. That was part of the agenda, the mass migration into Britain and other countries. So there are many agendas being fulfilled here, and it's not by chance. Not by chance at all. You, in other words, what I'm saying to you, I've, I've given talks on this many years ago, about how history is written. And it's never, nothing sudden in history, unless it's something out of nature that was, was unforeseen. But anything to do with human involvement means there's been planning involvement. It, it doesn't simply happen by itself. There's never a spontaneous war on any grand scale. It takes years of planning to get it all going and to get all the logistics worked out, etc., before you make the first move. Big, big battle plans. But for the public, you're taught today that it's just fairly sudden. I turn on. Your history books are written in advance. And that's why the initial propaganda, no matter how absurd it is at the time, and even more absurd after the facts and after time has passed, with more evidence coming to light, this, the, the initial Propaganda will be stuck to like concrete. And everybody involved at the top, as they stand together and they close ranks, will never ever vary their opinions. They all know what to say and do to get to keep on their own little power jobs and to stay up in a position of wealth. And that's how precise and total everything is today. History must be taught afterwards the way it was planned to be taught before the event took place. Same with World War I and a whole of other wars as well, for that matter. It's so fascinating to see how the group, the, the Milner Group, that became the Royal Institute for International Affairs, Dash Council and Foreign Relations across the planet, for the global enterprise system based in London, England at the time. It's so interesting to read the Anglo-American establishment by Professor Quigley, who was given access to their own historical records. They have their own historical records, for goodness sake. They also have members who write the history for the public, which and that's different. <laughs> but for Acre's sake, for their own members, they have archives of the real histories as it happened, going way back. And Quigley thought it was so important their, their function in history and altering and planning history and planning the future was so important that the world should know about it. And in tragedy and hope, he went too far. They, they didn't, his, the group that he, he belonged to kind of panicked and they, they, they took the place back for the book for printing and didn't print more, although luckily enough had been printed that they could be copied. And they are accurate when you compare them. But the other book, The Anglo-American Establishment, giving you the history of this group and how they... They didn't actually start in the 1800s, but they changed their name in the 1800s. In fact, it was so secretive, they changed their names even amongst the degrees of membership from the low to the top. 
And he shows you how they worked with circles and how some of the circles would interlap like Chinese puzzle rings. And when they interlapped, those members there, we would call technocrats today. They were the, they, they worked in, in, to do more of the, the, the doing and persuading other groups and how to go along with the doing of things across this empire that they were creating. And they also planned wars with South Africa to take over South Africa from the Dutch and settlers and the Boers. And they planned an attack on the Boers. And members of this group attacked the Boers and they, they took along with them a Times reporter because they owned newspapers. The members owned the newspapers in the day too, as they still do today. And the reporter's job was to give a, a fake account of this raid on the Boers and have it as the Boers attacking British settlements. And that would give the, the propaganda and justification for Britain then, enforcement to an extent, to then send troops in there. And then the troops would police the areas, fight the Boers, and we had the Boer War out of it. And then a few, a handful of people in London, they really ran the empire and the resources of it all would then grab the diamond and gold fields of, of South Africa, the diamonds and gold fields. That's how it was done. And quickly goes through it, and all the members involved in the Anglo-American establishment. It's quite fascinating to read it. When you realize, when you realize what he's telling you, and in his position too, what he's not telling you, <laughs> he could even go further than that. But he did say that, there were, there, that for the last hundred years or so, they'd, they'd pretty well been... Um, instrumental in steering the course of history. Well, it hasn't stopped. It hasn't stopped. And depending on how you look upon this, this agenda, if you're an insider, naturally, you're going to get rewarded for going along with it all. And you do. Doors will open if you are tapped to go into the CFR. You can't go and apply for it. You're tapped. They've already sussed you out to see if you get your mouth shut how trustworthy you are, how much influence you have in your own little circle, and then they bring you up and, and put you into different positions. So they're all through the civil service of governments as well, and the military too at the top. And for the military, they don't often have to even serve much time in the field, if any at all. They're, they're just rammed up through the ranks very quickly. And once they're up to the top ranks, they're, they're, they know all the contacts of military industrial boys, and then they're given jobs as CEOs sometimes, or, or go-betweens to lobby on behalf of the military industrial complex. It's quite a system, but it's a completely different reality than, than what the peasants are taught at the bottom, that pay for everything and fight for everything and do the fighting. It's vastly different, vastly, vastly different. So perception management is incredibly important in the way that we are run. Now, I've always mentioned in my talks, I hope I have, that I, I don't give you nostalgia for the past. But there's no doubt about it. The, the, the natural humanity you would see from people, even in times of incredible poverty. And the UK was incredibly poor after World War II. And they were incredibly rationed right up until about 1954, I think. And even then, lots of the food was still getting taken out of, of British farms and sent abroad to feed Europe. That was a devastating war. Devastating. So, but during it all, you still find decency amongst different people. But you'd also find a form of viciousness amongst those who'd had maybe a few generations of poverty.
Because to survive, people can become awfully hard as well, naturally. But it was it was the balancing out of it with decency there too that got people through it. And I remember when people didn't own their own homes. I mean, most folk could say in Scotland uh, rented uh, council housing. They couldn't afford their own homes. Uh, you, 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 the, a socialist country, as, as far as social, as far as I was concerned, was the suppression of people not to be able to, to afford and to buy anything. You were kept at bottom level with wages controls, prices controls, high taxation. And that's how it was, it was set almost in stone that way. It was terrible. And amongst it all, you had ridiculous public relations exercises or propaganda uh, run again by psychologists and marketing companies on how wonderful uh, the youth were today. You had all this chance in the pop business and rock business and so on. And we should all be happy because you had good music. Well, it was to, it was to give you the, the, a fake idea for the change of the future because... They weren't raking in the millions of bucks, like a, like a two or three different top groups. Of course they weren't. They, they were lucky to get jobs a lot in them at that time. As I say, so anyway, Peter Hitchens, he, he did mention that he, he's not nostalgic for, for all of the things that have passed, but he did mention they had basic values. And there was a basic remnant of a culture that came from what is hated and that was at least Christian values, how you treat each other. That came into good effect to get folk through the hard times. And neighbours would often, I remember it, help each other out uh, to pay the rents very frequently. That was quite normal. You didn't have the mass commercialization of purchasing buying because most folk bought everything second-hand that I knew. And it was the same across a lot of places in England too, a lot of big, big cities, etc. The, the people were just broke, and somehow they, they survived and ticked along, basically. And the so-called empire thing, uh, that, was for, that was for Hollywood to, to play that up, the wonderful empire they had, because the general public didn't profit from it at all. They paid for it all through their taxes, because to be, to be armed and policed by soldiers and all the rest of it, but uh, that's what it was. Nothing really changes. Just the perception of how it's managed today and, and, the, and the, the, the constant reiteration that you're free. And you've never been so free as you're the most surveyed and surveilled society in history. It's incredible, eh? Anyway, I didn't even mean to go there today. I was just going to prattle this off and a whole bunch of articles. But it gets me that, that most folk won't ask questions. The youth are always catered to much more than, than the adults do. Because the youth, and I really mean this, but the anthropology and psychology and the milestones in life and psychodynamics, all the rest of the stuff working on us all the time. They know exactly through the culture industry how to cater to you. For the young folk, it's, it's sex and, and hedonism and, and narcissism. And just fill their heads full of it. Fill their heads full of it. Get, get lots of this party, fun, sex. For the people who do get hitched, which are declining all the time, naturally, with, with, the, the, with all the, the anti-marriage propaganda coming out there, too. Except for maybe single parents. The, the state has become the supplier of goods and finances to single parents. and has done for an awful long time. And n- none of this happened 
because of pressure from the bottom, folks. It came from the top. It always comes from the top. It suits the banking system, the international banking system, the big, big system that really runs the world. So it's networking and it circles and circles, like Quigley said. Awfully important to understand it. Because the same group that, that the Milner Group belonged to, that became the Royal Institute for International Affairs, Council and Foreign Relations, Pacific Rim Associations, and all the other associates, all the same group, gave you the United Nations, the World Bank, the Bank for International Settlements, the International Monetary Fund, and a host of other debt-creating systems that profits from the banks that you'll pay off. They, they, they own them all in the central banking systems across the world. Because money was to be the new military power, the new form of military to control everybody's lives. And it's been awfully successful, isn't it? When you think about it to the present time. Because when you're getting some of it, even though it's all debt-based money, people can live a bit better on a, on a materialistic basis than they've ever done before. But again, they've been taught that somehow like this candle will never burn down, although it's designed to. Because once the whole world's under the same system, in comes austerity. And just like they're teaching children today, in school now, to worship the planet Earth, and they must sacrifice for the planet Earth, which is another big front organization for total control of the planet and how you live, right down to even if you'll get born, if they'll need you, eugenics, etc. Because that's all part of the same system run by the same group. Always was. And they've got all the time in the world to implement it. They're awfully precise now with their 50-year plans and 100-year plans and what they can achieve the different goals along that way, all the milestones. They know exactly what they can do now. And you will see all these things come to pass. And the brave new world of Aldous Huxley, that didn't appear out of thin air, Huxley mixed with all the eugenicists. He mixed with the class that were the controllers and the professionals that dealt as controllers on behalf of those who owned the planet and the finances of the day. And he was well aware through many, many discussions and growing up at the dinner table, etc., that through psychology and training and behaviorism and repetition, you could train and raise a public to believe and, and behave in any way that you want them to behave and believe. And that's exactly what they've proven over and over again. Most people don't have their own mind. They have no reason to question things if they're just basically materialistically happy and they're getting along in life with, as I say, the substitutes for everything else given to them. But from the beginning, I never came out to talk to the general public. I just knew there was enough people out there asking questions who didn't have the answers. A lot of people, you'll find, were punishing themselves. They, they couldn't fit in. They knew lots of things were wrong in the world. They didn't know how to get verification of it and the knowledge of it and what was going on. And maybe a lot of them, some of them were brighter than other people, perhaps. And if you don't get the answers and you're demanding questions, you might turn in towards yourself and... and destroy yourself through either alcohol or drugs or both. 
And I'm glad that down through the years people have gotten in touch with me to say that I, that I helped them get off of that track. It's very hard to explain to someone where this thirst comes from, this thirst to know. The most important thing in life is why, why has never been asked. Or you'd be, you're given ersatz answers. You're getting fake answers from the establishment who crush any alternative facts. I'm not talking about reasons, I'm talking about facts. And that's important to know as well. Again, if you into Lord Burton Russell, another Lord, remember, and folk never question why the Lords would be working to create this thing called socialism because they don't have any affinity for the general public, the common people. Just like George Bernard Shaw didn't. But he had the same attitude as Shaw. And he worked in the same organizations as Shaw. The, the general public would have to come, everybody individually, to, to the socialist organizations run on behalf of the elite. The elite who should rule you. And you'd have to justify why they should allow you to stay alive and live in a socialistic system. George Bernard Shaw said it. His voice is up on, on video out there, on audio. If you want to listen to it. That hasn't changed. And Russell also said that eventually, hopefully he said, anyone will be able to persuade anyone else of anything they want. He's talking about with the right techniques and power behind them. Well, guess what, folks? Look around you today. What's getting pushed? Huh? And everyone fighting everybody else. Because you fall for opinions, you immediately take sides around and say, wait a minute, who's giving us this? Why are they giving us this? What is the final agenda with this? It's too easy by using emotion to get them fighting rather than asking, isn't it? Remember too, before I finish off this talk, that you can get the books and discs at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com and you can also donate to me. You can find out how to do it. If you go into the website and you'll see all the sites I have listed there at CuttingThroughMatrix.com. You should not tear note of them in case any of them get pulled eventually. You just never know. Or if I, I just decide to, to, to cut some out because of the, the, the cash problems, it definitely takes money. And I was never out for money, otherwise I'd be selling you all kinds of gadgets, gimmicks, and, and so on. Or magic truths. I could give you lots of the answers to what's called magic, but I wouldn't sell it, basically. And most folk want mysticism as opposed to, to facts. It's much easier to, to escape from reality that way for folk rather than to... To really go after knowledge Because if you go after knowledge Then you're left with decisions On what you're going to do in life And will that mouth of yours Stay silent down the road Or, or won't it I've said before And it's amazing to hear that The talks I've given from even 20 years ago Being reiterated by other people And even with elevated high places you might say I've said to remember that you're the only material, just like the, the builders were always talking about. You are the building material. And you're the only building material that can be, you can be sure of. And start with yourself. Instead of grabbing the latest flag or banner that's waving in your face, 
for some cause or other. Start with yourself. And once you've basically built yourself, then you'll see through all the cons that are out there. And then you could be a more complete person. And less angry, perhaps, because you'll certainly, if you follow all the stuff that's dished out on a daily basis to you by the marketers, including those who run all the, the rebel sites of all kinds, everything out there is either a color revolution or something else on the go, isn't there? And once in a while, you have to ask yourself, what are you rebelling against? Who wants you to rebel? And now we have this sanitized version of it where... Every country will issue you permits for your little demonstrations and you go and protest, whatever it is, hold hands and sing whatever it is you sing. And then you all go off and have your, 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 your pizza and coffees like you've done. It's almost like a hobby now in some big cities across the world. It really is, isn't it? It's a, it's a nice hygienic safety valve for everybody. Because everyone now has been pushed into different groups that you must belong to. You must belong to something. Or you're not complete, apparently. But again, with a lot of folk now, it's only socializing they get. They can't even talk to each other, even when they're standing next to each other, without texting. Hmm. Anyway, I'm going to put up some articles tonight. I was going to prat one about them, actually, but I just wandered off, as I always do. And one of them was about the libraries and how the libraries are churning out. From the 90s in Canada and elsewhere, you would see massive book dumps and, and, and garbage dumps of awfully good books, as they were. They call it weeding, by the way. And like all organizations today, they're international. No one in any country, in any particular job profession, or in, does it according to that country or that culture. They're all, they all connect, see what else has been done across the world. Oh, they're doing this, let's do it too. But your, your culture, your history is often getting trashed. And along with it, the weeding, as they call it, and it's taught, they call it weeding. Every top librarian knows it too. And some of the salaries of these librarians in the U.S. bowls you over. Really, honestly, wherever you get taxpayers' money at work, you're getting plundered, folks. That's where the money is these days, isn't it? But yeah, the, the, the books are getting, they're getting chucked in rubbish dumps and the whole bit. And there's a lot of politicization involved, naturally, of things that they simply want to disappear. Tragic. New Zealand's doing it, Australia does it, Canada's done a lot of it already, still doing it. And the U.S. is just doing it at an awful rate right now. Quietly from the public. They don't want public knowing about it because you might start and get complaints about it. I mean, this is public money. It bought all these books, remember? And a lot of them aren't even selling them off. They're likely, they want them all ditched. There's a lot of stuff now must disappear from, from history. The memory hole, as George Orwell called it. So I'll put those links up for those who maybe are, maybe are curious to, to find out, to wonder who, where all the old books in the library, and a lot of reference books too, simply went to, is to give you new histories all the time. Everything's remade again. So I'm sorry to prattle on tonight, but as I say, I, I didn't mean to go here in the first place. But once you get started, sometimes it just happens. And 
I say the main thing is not to repeat just stories, etc. It, it's to do some thinking at times. Hopefully help other people out. We're asking questions to a lot of young folk. Are, uh, and not just young folk, but a lot of folk are asking the questions. And, and they've been running. I used to compare it to being the, the awakening process. It's something sometimes stirs you. Something may have lit the fuse, basically. That starts you, starts you off really searching. And it's like coming out of a tunnel onto a field. And the field is, 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 is laden with minefields everywhere. And everywhere you've got, you've got posts with signs that it's come here, here's the answer. Oh no, it's over here, here's the answer. That's how confusing it is. And often deliberately so too. Because those who control the world, as you're trying to break free, they'll wrap you off into some sideline. Immediately, if they can. There's nothing in reality that's there by chance. Really. And information, and from the beginning of even writing, or even before writing, but what's writing came along, was used from the beginning with conformity of thought, with political and control motives behind things. In many, many years, not all, but getting worse and worse up until the invention of newspapers, and now it's, of course, internet and television and newscasts and newscasters. And the newscasters themselves, again, are corporations, a lot of them, with their big PR companies and the agent, their own agents that negotiate for their pays and all the rest. They don't do anything for free. Nothing is spontaneous, folks. Big money isn't behind them all. Big, big money. Millions. And teams of writers at times, too. Teams of them. So question everything and start thinking for yourselves, hopefully. And perhaps, like all down through history, there are always those who who are around a few who can pass the knowledge on to the next group who can sometimes have to go and hide themselves in some generations because knowledge can be dangerous. And those who control everything have always known that. So for myself, Alan Watt from Ontario, Canada, it's good night, and may your God or your gods go with you.